Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by some of the team at Cactus. And if you listen to the first uh, episode of the three of these that we're doing, you know that we should be in for a good time. No pressure, everyone, but it's certainly got the most views, loads of listens, loads of engagement. And I think that's testament to where you guys sit in the in the industry and your passion for it. But I'm very pleased to welcome back Guy Masters, founder and MD of Cactus Search. And welcoming on the show for the first time, we've got Matt Afron, the resourcing manager, and Lee O'Connell, management specialist at Cactus. So Guy, Matt and Lee, thanks very much for joining and welcome. Thank you thanks for having us. Pleasure. So Guy, we've done this with you before, so I'm going to go straight in with, um, with Matt, as well as being a Baggies fan, which we talked about prior to the recording. Boing, boing, Baggies. Someone else. Um, you're, yeah, you're the resourcing manager at Cactus. How long have you been at Cactus? So I'm just over 11 years with Cactus. Um, I um, I guess a bit of background on me. I went to university, uh, got a degree in dance and drama, and then immediately thought that was a waste of time. Let's go and be a recruit recruiter. <laughs> um, <laughs> naturally. Naturally. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Met my wife, moved back to Worcestershire, met Guy and Francesca and, and the rest history. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed my 11 years with them. Uh, they'll probably sort of call me a liar and they've probably detested the whole whole time. But no, no, um, yeah, no, no, no. You need to tell you need to tell Martin, though, that you were part of boy bands, but you were the backing dancer because you couldn't do the singing bit. <laughs> No yeah, so, way, really. Yeah, so when I was younger, I, I, I was a backing dancer for a, a, a local group that were performing at a, a festival. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up on stage um, in front of about sort of 10,000 people dancing, wiggling around and stuff like that. But it was cracking fun. I was like 20 years old. It was a good laugh. Well, maybe, maybe at the end, this is going to be on YouTube as well. So <laughs> try and find the clip. <laughs> You'll never find a clip. It I'm not sure pre- if I want to hear the words. Go on, Matt. Give us a wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> it was pre-phones, so as in it, back then it was. Oh. Years. Would this mean that you were kind of akin to Howard from Take That? Oh, I, I aspire to be Howard. <laughs> That's how poor it was. <laughs> wow. And and Lee, a similar background. Um, <laughs> you know what? Actually, a little bit earlier. So I, I was doing like dance and acting and all that kind of stuff when I was like four and five and six. So my client defines children in need when I was like five doing the end credits dancing routine. That was good fun. Really? Um, yeah. In terms of relevance, uh, I've been uh, with Cactus now for I'd say seven years in total. Um, I've also had a background in uh, BPO, recruiting into a BPO world. Uh, also, so I've got a bit of a mixture. Uh, I can see both sides, whether it be from an agency point of view and also from um, a client point of view as well. So, well, it's it's straight away. There's something there to explore, and I know, I I, I know you guys are all very open with each other, so it doesn't matter matter that guy is here. But I'm always interested when people have been with an employer for some time, especially when, let's be honest, everyone knows your industry is a tough one you know, recruitment and recruitment in the contact centre space and BPO space, doubly tough. 
what is it about Cactus then that's kept you so long in the company, so engaged? Do you, do you want, I'll, I'll jump in with that one. So um, just given my tenure, I guess, but um, I don't know. Guy and Frank's are really, really nice to work for. And I know he sat here and he pays me. Uh, <laughs> but ah, That's good to hear. But um, <laughs> that I pay him or that I'm good to work for. <laughs> yeah but no they're easy to work for it doesn't you know it's I guess I only have this brand to base it on but it's we all work together we all work independently on our own we all work with different clients and we all support each other and it's always felt like uh, if I was to do recruitment elsewhere or when I spoke to anybody who does it elsewhere it just hasn't been it hasn't sounded as good as I've got it and that's that's the nice thing, you know. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy working in the contact center space, um, and I enjoy working with the people that I do. So it's sort of a no-brainer. Why would I move on? And Lee, you said that you'd also kind of dipped into the BPO um, space as well. Does has that enabled you to kind of have a a comparison? between the between the two worlds yeah i think so i also have a little bit of empathy for what they have to deal with not just recruitment wise but other aspects to the role also um so i have that element now where i can think if i'm speaking to a client i can understand why they probably won't come back to me so quickly because i've been there before uh, mm-hmm. work with an agency understanding that they understand our requirements and having those difficult conversations whilst also trying to manage other stuff in the background so there is that element of I, I can see what goes on behind the scenes. So I kind of know what, why it's kind of a little bit silent or why it's kind of a little bit busier. And that must be reassuring as well, because previously, I guess it would be, is it me? Yeah. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> gets a little bit self-conscious, don't they? So I'm kind of doing something wrong, but no, I, I get it. Uh, and Guy, when we were talking about um, things to discuss, there's so there's so many different topics, but a hot a hot one at the moment that uh, I know listeners will be really interested in, and that you guys have a, a high level of expertise in is the BPO sector. But I was struck by something you said when we were chatting about it was it, it's it's potentially an emotive um, subject. Why is that? I think that so I think the BPO sector is it's they're kind of the they're kind of the unsung heroes of the contact center world in my view anyway. So organizations, I know John Lewis, made.com, whatever, they're, they're, they're brilliant at, at procuring goods, knowing where the trends are going to go, getting those goods, marketing them, retailing them, and getting them out to someone. They're not, they're not experts in logistics, maybe. They're, not, they're definitely not experts in customer service. So when they outsource their stuff to a BPO, um, they are asking a BPO, if they do outsource, they're asking a BPO to, to deliver better service than they can for less cost than they can do it for, which I think is the emotive part of it. So you're kind of asking someone to do the best they possibly can, but maybe not always giving them um, the wherewithal to do it. And I think that's why it's kind of an emotive industry to be in, because the, they, they will be desperately trying to deliver these amazing experiences for their clients, customers, but sometimes with a hand tied behind the back, mm. um, which might be a client saying, you've got to have these people on site. We're not prepared to let you homework these people. This is all the budget we've got to pay, you know, and they've obviously got to pay the management structures and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky balancing act, I would have thought, having not worked in the BPS sector, but tricky balancing act for them, I would have thought. 
I think with that is also comes timing as well. Uh, there will be clients where they need these numbers by a certain date. There isn't a case of our, uh, it's fine. We're quite relaxed to when the campaign is going to start, whether it's something specific or a new campaign. So that could take a bit of an effect and a hit on training, which can then lead to maybe an issue in performance or agency, oh, sorry, agency, agent engagement. Mm. And is that in terms of just, there's no, there's no leave. I, I've been, I've worked in the BPO sector and I know that, you know, the launch date was the, the launch date for a new campaign. There wasn't any, well, it looks like we might have to push it out a bit. Yeah. It was like, no, you are starting with this many agents and this is how you're going to do it. And this is what we expect the results to be. And you kind of sit there knowing that they could go to one of 20 other competitors, right? So it's highly competitive environment. And then you guys must, you guys must feel that because you're the source of them being able to deliver for their clients, right? Yeah, I mean it's a million miles an hour, isn't it? And they've got a date where they've got to start them. They don't want them in too early because then they're paying them for something that they're not doing, uh, and they can't get them in a day late because they need to train for a certain period of time before the campaign actively starts. So, and that can be the biggest problem for us because. We're aiming to hit a day and advisor level, advisor level individuals are the ficklest of the lot. You know, they, they it's not a nasty, it's just yeah, yeah. they'll move for a very little margin. They'll yeah. and you know, they're always interviewing for maybe three, four, five things all at the same time. You're focusing on getting them there for your brand. And they'll wake up that morning and go oh do you know what i just i just don't fancy it even on the day they're supposed to start yeah. all the ones sat there going mr bpo i've tried my absolute best for you i really have and, and it just doesn't always work there's a there's a there's a client we're dealing with at the moment i remember a conversation with them a couple of weeks ago and they had to get i don't know 70 people or 80 people to turn up on on whatever given monday it was to start their training and one of the account directors in this bpo had said to the um uh, or maybe it was the clients, one or two anyway, said to the head of resourcing, um, so how are you going to guarantee that those 80 people turn up? And they basically looked at whoever it was and said, well, evidently I can't because they're all humans. Yeah. But even if I drove around individually to all their houses, they st there'd be still one that didn't get out of bed. Yeah. And do you, how do you deal then with those kind of um, managing expectations where that's education, right? It's, it's an educational piece to somebody about, as you've just said, the fickle nature, the um, the, the roles that they're going for. And the I certainly remember like a, a people going for it, like you say, a plethora of, they've put out a lot of um, requests to go and work at different places. And even though they've said yes to, to one, doesn't mean that they're not gonna subsequently say yes to another that comes along that offers slightly more and they've got better table tennis tables. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit like the house. Someone, <laughs> yeah. someone actually said that to us when they were a no-show for an induction. No way. So, yeah, that they that the and this was at a time when we were we were in Portsmouth and there were competing contact centers really close. That's and they just got they just got new table tennis tables and they were like, look, I love my table tennis. So, okay. It, are you telling me that, that then then you've got to go to the head of facilities and say it's your fault that Barry didn't turn up today? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Table tennis bats are shoddy. Come on, Let's get the budget. There's no grip. There's no grip on them. 
So who who's worked with in the BPO sector the longest out of you guys? Probably Guy. Sorry. Referring back to my age. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We didn't we didn't do enough of that on the first one. <laughs> um, um, so Lee's obviously worked in the BPO sector the longest because he's worked in the BBO sector. Uh, with this, Matt probably says it's probably me because obviously I'm I am the oldest as, as we now know. Um, although I probably don't look it, do I, Matt? Um Anyway, I will say it's probably then me because I the first role I ever placed for Cactus was actually uh, a sales trainer for a BPO. So I can guarantee it's 11 years ago that, <laughs> that yeah, the first brand I ever worked with was actually one of Guy's clients, uh, one I never stole from him. So uh, it, I left him with that. <laughs> Thank you very much. How have you, and the reason I ask is, in that time, uh, what's the, what are the things that have changed and what are the things that have stayed the same? Um, a lot of the BPOs have changed. I can yeah. say that. I mean, some I still work with today have the exact same hiring manager I worked with 11 years ago, but she's been through probably six company names in that time. <laughs> yeah. um, Bought out, bought out, sold, you know. There's been massive consolidation on that market, though. Mm. And we'll go, we'll go through that again. So if you look at it now, there's the huge huge players like Teleperformance and WebHub. And, and, and there's smaller ones that are, that are getting a lot bigger, like Sigma are getting huge. And the BPO market's doing really, really well. So it's been through cycles of consolidation. And obviously, that will happen again at some point mm. as the smaller ones get bigger. Um, but the BPO sector is... is, is is really interesting in terms of where it's changed, I think, because it would have started off in a very, very basic way. You know, when, when before Cytel was Cytel, I think it was a company called Merit and one called Mitre out of Stratford-on-Avon. In fact, Mitre was Stratford-on-Avon, I know that. And I think their, one of their first gigs was selling holidays for Lumpoli or something. And there was outbound calling customers. And I, I, I remember speaking to someone at the time and they were like, wow, this is just... You can outbound phone these people and they're giving you money over the phone. This is awesome. And the margins were monstrous. They were making absolute fortunes on this stuff. Um, and obviously that's changed massively. So it's all inbound now. It's all inbound. But, you know, you wanted to drive contact towards you, not necessarily in voice, but obviously in other kind of contact methods. Um, but Lee, Lee, the, the outsourcer that Lee worked for, that was a lot of collections, wasn't it, Lee? Um, mainly collections, yeah. More customer service as well, so it's kind of a bit of a mixture. I mean, in terms of what BPO was like 10 years ago, I couldn't comment yeah. on it. Obviously, Guy and Matt probably best suit for that one. But from what I've seen, just because of COVID in itself, mm. think of a BPO, it was all office, all on different floors. Even the thought of everyone doing home working was, was probably never, never even expected or thought of. Now, it's, it's a normal. Mm. So I would just, where I was before, everyone we recruited was working from home and it's still the same it hasn't changed in performance um for that particular business anyway for that particular client um but with that comes changes in training different changes in management because usually people are there they can put their hand up if they need support or anything like that. now it's completely different now it's all virtual and you just need to ensure that the training give them the right tools to be able to do their job properly without having the need of that support constantly so that's what i've seen recently anyway and do you, just thinking about that, um, when you are sourcing candidates, 
are they asking you about those types of things like what what's the training going to be like or or rather you've got you have to have quite a deep knowledge of what's going to be delivered right to be able to talk them through uh, and reassure them about the level of training that they're going to get or or doesn't that factor um i think it changes you, you will get people who are a little bit more concerned um if i was to say okay you're getting two weeks training and then you're going to go live um that can be a little bit concerning especially if it's like a, a role that specializes in financial services you need a lot of training fca training clearance all that kind of stuff you need to understand what kind of calls you're going to get what different kind of calls how do you deal with these type of calls especially if it's not a scripted position um but then others who have maybe been around the contact center world for ages and customer service roles to spend six months here 12 months there it's all kind of the same to them and systems as well systems are completely different yeah. so it's a tricky one i'll say it's more of a 50 50 around training but i think better training provides better engagement which means you'll keep agents for longer and they'll buy into your way of working a lot better but in the bpo sector i imagine some bpos some contracts will have the the bpo funding the cost of the training and some contracts contracts will be the client funding the cost of the training mm, yes. i imagine yeah. that the the length of training does is material attached to who's actually funding it yeah, so where I was before, one of our clients did all the training themselves rather than it, because they know exactly what they, they yeah. want and they want to see from the agents that are being provided to and them. And it's probably their systems as well. Yeah, exactly that, spot on. So when you come to, um, Matt, you've, you mentioned something about a recruitment manager that has gone through, worn six different name badges, but the name has stayed the same, right? It's just the company name above yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's changed Brilliant. what when when she did ask you to here we go we've got another campaign have you seen the types of skills that are being asked for change or is it still very much numbers pace times of when things have to start yeah no it's 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 generally stayed the same you know um uh, the badges change but the individuals still the same you know and it really comes down to the different hiring managers, what they require, what they're going to need. Um, but the individual has always come back to me and back just going, look, you know what I want. You go out and get it. I go and deliver it. If I can't explain why, and that's Cactus's way, you know, the honest, open approach and extension of your business will always tell you and try our best to get you exactly what you want. And have you noticed any changes in in the candidates that you're going out to get oh. or the methodology that's needed? Yeah, so, I mean, it's probably been discussed before, you know, the the method has changed so so drastically since COVID that every, even down to the advisor level, um, everybody, their first question is, is it hybrid? Is it work from home? You know, that is a massive change. Then after that, we go on to the training. Okay, well, how will I be trained? If I'm going to be fully remote, how will that happen? And some of the some of the bigger BPOs have really embraced home-based working. Uh, some some that guys mentioned, you know, and it's working for them. As a matter of fact, it's actually reduced their attrition because people are more happy in their roles. Because you know, I mean, we're all working from home right now, aren't we? Um, yeah. it, it's a better quality of life. You know, there's nothing wrong with those two men I'm sat with here. But I prefer when I finish that second to walk out and greet my children as opposed to sitting in a car for 40 minutes going, going back home. That's only six miles. 
That's six <laughs> miles, yeah. That's really? I think I, I remember having a conversation with, um, with the ops director of one of the BPOs we worked for, and this was just as COVID happened. I'm sure there's many stories like this. So they just homeworked everyone. And he said, do you know what? We don't know whether our staff are sitting at desks on the end of beds, you know, in a, in a shared house where there's five, five guys or girls in a shared house all around one coffee table with headsets on and we have no idea. And they found out subsequently that one of their members of staff um, was actually spent their time working from sitting on the top of the stairs. That's the only place they could get, they could get to sit basically and work. It was just like nuts. I mean, it's a health and safety, and this would have been for not just the BPO sector, but health and safety and compliance nightmare. <laughs> Do you remember back in the day when you worked for a big corporate company and they get that person to come round and go, okay, I'm just going to lower your seat slightly. Yeah, your arms reach the mouse perfectly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and your back. Okay, you're perfect. Imagine that. Yeah. Move your house, your staircase is perfectly perfectly sort of aligned with if your you rest your laptop work. on your left knee while putting your foot on the third step that probably gives you the the right angle of attack for what you're going to do <laughs> yeah, exactly that's why i think hate um health and safety people were very happy about people using ironing boards because that that converts from a sit-in desk to a standing one you know you, you can you can adjust it you know, <laughs> and if you put your treadmill up against it, then you yeah. get exercise at the same time. There's nothing don't, that can go wrong. Don't knock that. I've got people that I know, you know, even like head of operations that say I get my workout done while I'm on my Zoom calls. I'm literally always walking on my treadmill, laptops balanced. Don't knock it until you try it. I haven't tried it, but. <laughs> and you do you think, though, um, as we go forward, are there any signs of this changing, do you think, from the, B the big BPOs that you have as clients? Are they still very much saying this is all home-based? No, so I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not mentioning any names because it's, it's not worth it, but I know a good, a good few have already sort of gone, yeah, okay, that happened when it happened, and now we work better as a unit, everyone back. And, and you know... The best way of not mentioning the name is I've already got calls from certain people in organisations going, it's just not for me anymore. I spent two years doing the exact same job at home and I don't understand why I have to do it five days a week now where, you know, an hour and a half away from my house. Yeah, I'm speaking to a lot of candidates at the moment who just miss that human interaction. Um, clients as well. People are trying to integrate people back into the actual contact centre itself, unless it's in their contract, they are fully remote. Um, whether they take on a new intake of people or if it's a new head off, more likely, I'd say 80% of the time now it's hybrid. Because mm. they don't want to see them on site, show their face, so people can identify who they are. Um, I think it's probably better for the actual business in itself. It might be, but it's the hybrid model is an interesting one because you're still fishing in the local pond you may as well be yeah. recruiting people to work on site 100% because you're still in that, I've got a community to the office place. I think the interesting thing for the contact centre industry is that it's, it's probably the only industry where the competitive edge that we have is to allow people to work from home. You can't do it if you work in Starbucks, Tesco's, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to go to a site. And we're fishing in the same pond for the same kind of people at the same kind of salary banding. So the competitive edge is to let people work from home. And I think also in the BPO sector, to make it relevant to this conversation, is that they are 
they're, they're going to be dictated to by their clients and by, you know, how that deal was set up. That deal could have been set up, you know, post-COVID, in COVID, pre-COVID. And, and that deal and the way it was structured, the way it was sold, the funding that they have to enable them to have a person or 100 people on site or off site. Off site is obviously cheaper. They're going to get less attrition if they're all remote. They're going to be able to hire easier because they've got the whole of the country to shoot at if they're all remote. So if they're able to, the BPO sector specifically, if they're able to um, have people working from home, like Sonse do, the, the UK's only pure um, uh, home working business, if they're able to have people working from home, then it's a competitive edge for them and they'll find staffing easier. I think the challenge that they have is when some of their clients who are historically um historically want people on site will dictate that they want their campaigns to be based from site and that makes hiring a real tricky one i think especially in the bps sector where you don't have the benefits that you get if you're working with virgin or vodafone or any of those kind of businesses you don't have the the pocket the depth of pocket and the breadth of, of benefits to offer see just following on from that I'm working on a role at the moment for um like a head of ops. Now, pre-COVID, you'd sit there and go, okay, well, how, how far will a head of ops travel to get to site? And we've always, rule of thumb, over 40 grand, you'll travel an hour and a half. So I'm now trying to find people within an hour and a half window that will travel. And, and honestly, you get more no's, more no's, no, no, no. I'm not traveling an hour and a half every day, every day, an hour and a half. Yeah, it's, it's mental for like 80 grand not even 40 well you know two years ago you'd be like 40 grand hour and a half i'm, I'm there now you've got yeah. 80 grand it probably costs that much to go well, and out out at the moment. <laughs> don't, don't. we had to work that out didn't we guy we were sat there we were like god it's eleven and a half thousand a year it was eleven and a half grand to get this individual from one from where they live to the to the client that's purely in fuel costs that's not tires wear and tear nothing just fuel costs alone I mean, you've got to earn, you've got to earn closer to 20 to pay the 11 and a half. Yeah. And just, uh, do you know what, as we were coming to do this um, episode, I was thinking about how tough it must be for you guys to, because you, you somehow have to, whilst maintaining your integrity and you've got your passion for your, your clients, you are still selling roles to, to candidates and you've got far more, it seems to me anyway, from an outsider looking in, you've got far more challenges than you ever used to have because of things like the cost of living. And to your point, I hadn't even really thought about that hybrid really still is geographically limiting. Yeah. Uh, and I hadn't, even, I hadn't even considered that. And you've got more challenges, it seems, now than ever before. Hybrids are kind of a misoma, um, I think, that, that, that worked well during COVID maybe just after COVID, but I do think it's a little bit of a kind of gray area. Are you going to tell me I've got to be in the office five days a week in three months time? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do I, you know, yeah. we both look at each other slightly through the side of our eyes, not really believing each other. It's kind of a tricky one. Um, but as Lee says, you know, seeing people face to face and on site is something that is really, really important. Um, training's really hard, even our own tiny little business. You know, when we're in the office and we go to the office a couple of days a week, when we're in the office together, someone goes, I've got a problem with this, and immediately it's solved. Mm. Whereas when we're at home, you're relying on whoever that is to WhatsApp the group going, guys, I've got an issue, I don't have this. But they could have sat on that for half a day before they decide to do that. So mm. it's, going back to Lee's point, it's a, it's the, the kind of hybrid work is a quite good work if you can make it stick. 
I'm kind of with you on this one, Lee, around some of the CEOs that have been on from BPOs on this podcast is when they talk about the ethos that they've tried to create. Yeah. It's very much based on people bouncing off each other in a physical bit in the contact center, that there's a certain atmosphere, there's a vibe and how you, you know, how do you, how do you replicate that when people are spread all over the place and maybe coming back in, it's, it's a real, real challenge, but you guys have to address that on scale as well, don't you? Because whilst you've got the senior roles that are individual, a lot of the time you're for BPOs, will you be doing bigger campaigns, right? Bigger numbers. Yeah, we did. Um, I think we did 300, uh, just under 300 people in two months for one of the BPOs, um, which was, which was great. In fact, Lee worked on that, on that campaign. And Lee, just um, maybe just talk to us a little bit then about kind of, you've gone gamekeeper poacher back to gamekeeper, right? Is kind of... It's, uh, yeah, it is, it is a tricky one. Um, it's fine, those people, isn't it? You can say if it's remote or not, but getting them through on, if you're actually on the other side of the fence, whereas you're at the BPO, it's a lot easier to just, okay, here are the times you can just do, put them in, this is what we need. And we just go off the trust. That's what requirement. If it's not happening, then that's when the conversation happens at the end, saying, "Okay, this isn't quite right. This is where the challenges are. Let's see if we can go again." That type of thing. And there's something that um, I wanted to ask all three of you. You can't you can't talk about BPOs without talking about uh, a challenge. Again, from my own experience, I knew we had, and it was I would say it was a positive challenge because it made us think creatively. But that was one of attrition. And how is the industry, is, is that challenge stayed the same? Has there been any, are there any sort of changes there due to the pandemic or? Well, um, attrition's our fault in recruitment, isn't it, Martin? It's just, it's, <laughs> it's obviously our fault that these people don't stay for- I'm know, glad, I didn't want to say it. I'm <laughs> glad you've said it. <laughs> it's always our fault. The, the fact they're not drawing their pension when they leave the, the employer we put them in is definitely our gig. I mean, it's, yeah. You guys, stop yeah. it. Just sort it out, will you? <laughs> There's always someone who's got to get blamed. I mean, some of some of them have been able to see sort of a turn. I do believe, you know, I do ask, um, you know, certain head, head of talent and sort of head of resourcing when I'm talking to, you know, is the, is the attrition coming down? And I know some have seen a nice steady uh, sort of decline in it. Um but I think it's it's always going to be a problem in that industry. You know, they, they have they have they have sold the idea that they will do it for you as cheap as possible. They originally, you know, say, let's just say John Lewis, because we used him earlier. But John Lewis have, have gone to four different BPOs and that BPO has said, I will do it the cheapest. So they've gone with them. And the so best. now you've got to and go the and cheapest and best. There's a bit of there as well. It's not yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, forgive me. Um, and they've selected them based on that, you know, they've then got to try and hire 200, 400, 1000 advisors all at that just minimum wage level, and then expect the best service possible from them. It's always going to have a high attrition rate. It is. It's, it's, yeah, but that's probably not just in the BPS sector, that's just indicative of the, 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 the wage level we're shooting at. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if we were recruiting into, the retail industry right now or anything that or hospitality you'd get a sim 
You'd probably get a similar kind of attrition, I'm guessing, but I can't imagine why it wouldn't. I've always wondered as well, why, why don't we embrace the more transient nature, especially from an advisor agent level role based around, why don't we be more upfront about saying this, you might only do this role for a year, but if you stay internally, here's, here's the whole range of other roles you can, you can take on at, at the BPO, or even if you leave this company, you will have gained the following skills. You well, one BPO did that, didn't they? They, they actually tried a, a business model where they uh, paid the agents more and they offered them a skill. So they offered uh, to, to train them in something so they have a little qualification at the end of it. To, so if you, and they did see by doing that, one, they held on to their advisors for a lot longer than they anticipated or in compared to the, to the, to the bigger business. Um, and the people that got upskilled actually went on to, to do a bigger role within the organisation as well. You've got to invest in your people. Why don't more people do that? No, I mean, what we did that, that um, at the BPO I worked for. So all we, as soon as the intake, we do a whole presentation to them and say, this is what's going to happen in your role. This is what will happen when you want to grow with a business. Um, internals will always get priority. We always gave priority to anyone going for a team manager role, service delivery manager, ops role, performance, and the lot before going out externally to, to other agencies or going out externally onto job boards because you are investing in your people and that's what we were really passionate about we can train you up it's not difficult to do that mm. to spend it's actually going to cost you less to do that than yeah. hiring somebody else for a higher salary so would you be showing them the career path that they could exactly. take exactly that yeah or that's uh, great. So this is this is what you can do and then i'd branch off and say these are the roles that we've people in your position whether it be a customer advisor or a collections advisor have then gone on to do and I don't understand why more businesses don't do that because I think it's a lot cheaper to do that. And you're going to get a lot more, well, that's going to keep attrition down anyway as well. And you're going to get a lot more buy-in from people who are maybe looking to join you because if you're joining an employer who doesn't really invest in people and there isn't a lot of progression route to build their careers because that's where everyone wants to start, they're going to choose somewhere else that maybe might pay 50p less an hour, but then in a year's time, I could actually be earning five grand more in a better role. Mm -hmm. With a bigger business yeah so, lee just out of interest at the bpo you're at was there any, uh, i'm putting you on the spot but you've already got a job so this isn't an interview you're fine <laughs> um, <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> um was there anything that was put in place in that bpo and that that you could see that you actually got to see a quite a significant or just a drop in attrition um that were put in place I didn't get to see the in terms of percentages and what we were looking. No, no, no. Okay, but the general feel of we actually put this in and things felt as though that we we're you know less attrition or happier workforce or. Well, personally, I felt there was a lot less people leaving. That was a bit of a mixture between because we were all all, all of a sudden went fully remote, yep. depending on what the client requirement was, and again that progression route as well. Training, uh, whether it was client based or whether it was provided by the actual business itself. If it's client-based, it lasts longer because they have those requirements and people need to meet those. And if they don't meet those, they don't make it through to uh, the phones. So people are a lot more invested in people who spend time with them, um, yeah. offer them that route as well. So I saw a lot less attrition that way. Whereas if it was someone just doing two weeks, it's just a really quick role, yeah. they're more likely to leave. Yeah, of course. 
Okay. Do you? I saw a difference. I, was, there, yeah. I, I wanted. I wanted to ask you guys. Um, you hear about the the Great Resignation. You hear about how it's harder to attract talent into our industry than than ever before. If one of your BPO clients comes to you today and says, "I need, we need you to hire a thousand agents," what's your what's your initial feeling? If you want them on site, then no, it's not going to happen. You would dread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no! You're not asking me, are you, mine? <laughs> <laughs> In that case, if you are asking Martin, yes, we can do that. And absolutely, which site do you want them on? No problems. Yeah. We're selling to so, them. No, no, no. We'd, we'd be honestly on the, on the volume on the volume front. Francesca sort of leads that part of our business, and I think actually you're doing a you're doing a podcast with them on that. But interestingly enough, so we go through the whole thing with a client like that and say, okay, well, and, and I had a conversation last week with another business that wanted quite a number of people. And I said, for us to recruit these people, what I really want to know is what you're ready, because the, the rebates that we have to give money back, because obviously it's our fault, someone leaves. Um, again. Um, so so I need to know what your what your you know, if you what your early life attrition is, what's your attrition in the first three months, and what's the split between people deciding to leave you and you departing someone. Um, they very kindly fed back with that with that information. I looked at it thinking, crikey, you haven't got anyone, you've got very few people that last more than three months. And there's obviously an issue there. So we go through all those conversations first to, be, to try and work out, and this helps us work out how many people we actually need to recruit onto each onboarding uh, onboarding slot. So if they want 20 to start on a Monday, you actually probably need to recruit, depending on the company and where it is and all the kind of other bits, you need to recruit 30. And if you're really unlucky, you get 30 turning up slash lucky. But more often than not, you'll get between, I don't know, 18 and 24. You know what I mean? It's going to be that, it's going to be in the margin, but you're never going to hit the nail on the head. Um, so there's a whole lot of sort of open book information that if someone came to us, they asking that, we'd be like, right, this is a monster project. We want to make sure that we're successful for you. So you've got to open your books and share with us everything, training. Da, 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 da. We've got a client who we're doing some volume work for at the moment in a quite a niche area and they're recruiting part-time advisors. And, um, but they want to put them on a four weeks full-time training. I'm like, well, that isn't going to work because there's a reason these people want part-time jobs. Mm. You can't sit them in a month's worth of full-time training. Oh, and the jobs were remote, but they wanted them on site for the first week or so. It's again, well, you know, so there's loads of those kind of things um, that we'd go through. But still with that feeling of dread. It's <laughs> really that feeling of dread. We're going to have to cut this bit out, man. You have to cut the dread. Find the dread word and cut the dread word out. No, come on. I can. Uh, um, I do want to, you mentioned uh, a, a hypothetical sort of director of operations or head of operations, Matt, earlier. Um, in your, with your expertise and your experience, the more likely candidates, do they, what are the characteristics that they, that they possess? So what are the things that are kind of where you maybe have got a candidate and, you know, I think this person is going to be successful because of... And then what is the blank? See, I think I, one. it is an interesting one. See, what I what what I always, I guess, say, fall in love with in the person is the approachability. You know, how friendly, approachable do I think that they will be a good fit for that brand? 
every recruiter will have this same feeling in that as soon as they speak to the the one you know you know you literally and you can and i'll call i'll call guy and i found the one that's the one it, it can be something every client is different you know you can work with a real let's can you use the term ball breaker of a client you, you just, just not, but you can you can work with one and you can you can speak to that sterner individual, but also as a real nice undertone of uh, warmth. And you go, mm. that will fit well with that. That will fit mm. lovely. And mm. then you speak to somebody else who is very soft and, and will be perfect fit for that client. So each individual has something that will suit somebody. It's just trying to compare the two. And that comes with tenure. You know, yeah. I, I know way more now than I knew back 11 years ago. It's also coming to that also comes with getting to know your client, getting to know the 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 kind of individual that 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 in that, that person goes for in that in that kind of environment. Exactly, you know. Um, but in terms of giving, so if because it, it's a fascinating subject to me, and like you say, you're you've gained through experience and tenure, kind of that intuition, if you will, about oh right, this person's great. But for people that if you were to share with people listening the skills that they need to maybe acquire or work on or so straight away saying like approachability and and warmth and kind of amend maybe amending your style and relationship building are key key roles what are the others that you would say people should work on see when you um when you when you look at a cv and you know what you're looking for so to speak you look working with a client that needs a 400 you know i, I need somebody who's managed 400 people in a say talco business and mm. um, you'll see that immediately in the cv so from that moment you already know you're ticking the box so what do i need on that conversation and i guess it's believability they know their stuff um you know they've done it long enough or they if they haven't even done the tenure but they they ooze that confidence that's what you need it's just i guess yeah believability that you, you know you are the one for that when you speak to them you just kind of they sell themselves the right way that's a, it's a really really good point i don't mind sharing i um i was approached to someone who i used to work with left went to another company and she arranged for this the, the recruitment team to get in touch and the role I had oodles of experience in the role but the feedback that I got afterwards was not that I was dismissive it was more I, the questions I don't felt allowed me to kind of show that I knew what I was talking about so I was very much kind of well, yeah, I, I've, I've done it for three years and I've been successful at it. What more do you need to know? Rather than rather than telling a story and, and bringing it to life. And like, like you say, that that believability. I was quite incredulous when they were like, look, we're, we're, even though it, you've been a recommendation, we, we don't really want to go forward anymore. And it was only after then getting feedback and going, yeah, you know what? I was, my answers were very, very short. Can you do this? Yeah, 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 I can do this. Rather than saying, well, talk me through how you've done it. What's your approach? What's important in how you've set this operation up? Rather than just, well, it's that like I've done 400 people in a telco. So 
So that's why we're talking. <laughs> Martin, that, that is that is that is so true, and that is so down to um, that's the, kind of the wrong way to interview someone. If that makes sense, we're getting more out of this about each other, if you like, and general BPOs and whatever than you would out of an hour's worth of interview. With right, I've got these thirty questions. So I need to go through and tick them off one by one. You know, have you managed four hundred people? Yes, I have, and that's that's the end of it. It's just a it's just a, I don't think it's a very good interview technique personally. And and you came Thank out you. going actually I didn't I wasn't able to give you everything because you know you didn't kind of ask me the right questions or just let me let me flow with it. So really, yeah, the one. answer you give is kind of an answer to a question that you were hoping to get, which then seems like it's off topic because you're still just <laughs> wanting to get across your skills, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Have you, <laughs> Why are they asking me this? Have you managed 400 people? So when I was 21, I went to play this in all the way over there. It's a real it. It's a real challenge, though, because unless they're dealing with experienced chaps like yourself, um, you would know to tease that out, right? You would know to try and say, let's find out more than what's written down on the CV, because that's the first kind of you've got through that stage because you meet the requirements that we're looking for in terms of skills and experience. Now it's more about who are you as a person, which yeah. probably does need, which well, absolutely does need more open-ended questions right yeah it doesn't say on the cv oh i get my hands dirty or we're a bit more operational i can just leave it and delegate it to my uh service delivery manager optimize where we're ahead of so you still need to have that conversation be open and honest with them and kind of just have a, just a general conversation it doesn't have to be structured so you can you can get a feel for their personality and you can see okay so how did you do this that you yeah. did on the cv and that's when you can kind of get a feel for their behavior their management style that way and then if they open up and say, okay, yeah, I like to get my hands dirty. This is how I've done it before. That's the way I feel I best get it from someone, just having a, a human conversation rather than just being structured. I think that's why they've done it and how they've done it. I think that's exactly right. I mean, sometimes we'll get feedback saying, oh, they're completely wrong. They didn't answer the competencies right. And you're like, well, hold on. I, I had a wonderful conversation with that individual, could definitely do the role. I'm not saying I'm asking better questions. I'm just saying... Is competency the way of the future? It, it gets enough out of it, but you know, you're either good at a competency structured answer where you give everything, or you're actually better at that more informal sort of, you know, where we'll, we'll chit chat it and I'll give you everything. And warts and all, like I said, about something I did 20 years ago, and actually that was bang on exactly what they wanted to hear. Mm. You just never to know. I personally think a mix of competency and um, a sort of informal chit chat you get a lot more from a behavioural, yeah, behavioural, yeah, definitely behavioural. Just, just, just very much off topic. So we're obviously working from home. Um, Matt's obviously working from Ibiza, looking at the sun on the side of his face. <laughs> you know what? It's killing me. There's none here. <laughs> I'm working. I work in a conservatory most of the time. I had the door open, but I didn't want the neighbourhood dogs. You know, calling. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm shutting. I'm shutting the Packs of wild dogs. <laughs> that, I'm gonna say this is the interesting thing. He really could be there though. Oh, if, you, if you don't go I to the office, we, we do. We go and choose their Wednesday at the office, so he can't be there. But I wonder how many people, and it's definitely happened, have gone on a Saturday morning just find a Portugal. I'll do my Zoom and my camera off on Monday. It'll be fine. 
I've seen these videos on LinkedIn recently where someone's just boarding a flight and then it says when you get an invitation for half an hour's time from the manager for a team's flight. I've got a client in the BPO sector. I'm not going to say who or she, um, but I hope that they eventually watch this moment of this chat. They did you can their... send this moment to he or she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let them BPO. know after this that I did talk about them. They did their morning Teams chat in the VIP lounge of the airport with one of the fake backgrounds. And then they boarded the plane, went on holiday, and on Monday did did the did the meeting from on holiday and then came back Tuesday morning and was sat there just in, in their in their lounge, just like, yeah, like nothing had happened. Nothing. <laughs> when you do guys. do this clip, guy, you need to have running in the background, da 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Because that that is some gangster level there, isn't it? With the shades coming on. You you know it's happened. You know it's happened. I've so wanted to gone. do it. It's, it's Guy saying that I've got to come to the office on Tuesdays. <laughs> oh, you're looking well. Cloudy all weekend. <laughs> Sunkiss. That is sunbed. It was fabulous. Uh, to be fair, on a, on a more serious point, that is that is actually the beauty of hybrid working, because. Um, they've all got to be in in a proximity to the office so I can drive to make sure they're there. You've never done that. Or have you? You're looking through my window. <laughs> He's got like the, the TV detector van. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a guy that, there's a guy that's made a whole career now out of... Um, comedy sketches on TikTok where he's got a green screen behind him and he's got his... Um, he's got like a thing under his chest that holds his laptop and he, he, yeah, he's been, he's done wrestling. He's done. Oh, I've yeah. seen that. He, I, saw, yeah. I saw a boxing one the other day. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same guy. He, he rode down a street with it attached to the front of his bike. Yeah. And yeah. he started riding along like this. You'd never know, especially in the early days when everyone was sort of experimenting with the backgrounds that you could get. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna woe is me, but I personally think that the re recruitment is probably one of the few industries that your client, your candidate, do not care if you are on annual leave. If you're on holiday, <laughs> I have taken phone calls on the beach in Greece on holiday. Hello? Oh yeah, just wanted to I'm, I'm on holiday <laughs> this week. Not uh, oh so if you've got any update though. No, I'm literally playing in the sand with my daughter. Oh okay. I wonder what's in the national dial tone. I'll tell you what, Martin, and this is not unique, I don't think, to the recruitment sector. However, this is brutal. So there are a number of times when me and collectively we've been on holiday and there's a candidate who's accepted a role somewhere. And, and I do remember one instance, and the same gentleman has done this to me twice now. He's a very senior guy, really nice guy. I get on with him brilliantly, very senior guy. And he's accepted a role somewhere and he has then decided not to, not to pursue it any further at some point after accepting it, between accepting and starting. And it's obviously burning a hole in him because he's got to tell me at some point. Mm. The first time he told me was a Saturday and I was in Amsterdam for a long weekend with my wife and some friends. So he decided on that <laughs> Saturday was the right time to tell me. I can see the logic behind that. Yeah. Anyway, for him, it was like this. <laughs> Get in. Right, yeah. I can go have a great no, night out it. now. Yeah. And for me, it was like, my whole world has collapsed. I now can't enjoy the rest of my weekend. I may as well just go back to work there and then, because I'm <laughs> done now. And that's happened twice. So it's, 
and I'm sure it happens in many, many other industries, especially when you're selling things, you know, you'll get someone cancelling an order or something. But it is a brutal, a brutal game dealing with people. There's, there's something that you said to me, uh, said to me on the whilst we were talking about doing the very first episode, and it's come to it's come to the fore all the time in our in our chats is your de- the differences you write, some of the similar scenarios might happen. In, in my world, in, in other parts of what we do in the contact centre, but you're dealing with humans and emotion and all of that stuff that comes with, you know, this is in the top 10 list of most stressful things to do, isn't it? Move job, get a new job, you know, and, and you guys are the custodians of that relationship backwards and forwards. And you've just, you've just verbalised it perfectly because you're right. He was like, I've got this off my plate. I've eaten my frog for the day. Move on. Guy, here's a frog. See you later. <laughs> so the, if the most stressful thing to do is move jobs, we're moving people in jobs all day, every day. Yeah. That kind of puts, puts some of the stress. Anyway. But you love it, though. We love it, Matthew. Oh, Lee. Like, it, like more than anything. No, I, I can only say I do love certain clients that have been with me for years and some new ones that, you know, because you get new people all the time. I do enjoy that relationship. And some candidates, you know, I some of some of my favorite candidates I haven't even placed. You know, they, they have just become people that text me on my birthday and we wish each other. But that you've just developed that relationship. And mm. I love that. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you get that in all industries, but my peer group isn't just cactus. It is the mm. clients. It yeah. is some of the candidates that are just fabulous. I got um, got such a lovely email last week from, uh, from one of our telco clients, and we we recruited three really really senior roles, and they were sort of they were going from a telco business of I don't know 15 people to like a telco business of 400 really 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 quickly. So we recruited three really senior and quite specialist roles. Um, and she sent me a message last week because I'm so sorry. She's, she's now the CEO or CEO, something like that anyway. And she goes, I'm sorry I haven't been in touch lately, but I just want to say those three people you recruited, love them all, doing, doing an amazing job. They are brilliant. I sent back an email saying, I'm really so appreciative of that because normally when I see this kind of email with your name in it or someone's name in it coming in at this time in the morning, normally it's a, by the way, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah. Two of the, the three name, not working out. <laughs> So I afford the, the three people saying, so, by the way, your boss thinks you're great. Just, you know. Uh, I think I, I think it's, this is a lovely place to um, draw this particular episode to a, a conclusion, yeah. is that you guys um, and the work that you do, you, could, you have such a positive, integral impact, whether it's personal, so that you've got people texting you happy birthday, or you can point at success stories where companies have gone on transformational journeys of growth that benefits communities, right? And say, the people that are steering that, the people that are on the flight deck right now, we recruited them. So we provided a key part of their jigsaw to doing what they do. You know, our industry wouldn't be able to do what it does without the likes of you taking the bullets, going through all of those different challenges to get people in the right positions. So 
Um, Are you telling uh, me, Martin, that I get to tell my wife later when she comes home, I am the recruitment's answer to James Bond? I can't wait. What? Exactly. Darling. You'll never Monday get morning, one. Monday evening will never be the same again. <laughs> how do you want your dinner, Matthew? Shaken, not stirred. I just love how you took what I said to that. I mean, that's great. <laughs> there was no middle ground in that. No, it was, at all. There's no, no. There no leaps. Yeah. <laughs> you see what but I think of my life. That, that is, I love that, it. That actually, Martin, sorry, I, I know we're going to go, but that actually refers back to, I think, something Lee said earlier. So he was thinking about how he could get him being James Bond into the conversation, and that was his last possible opportunity <laughs> of doing that. It's like being interviewed. How do I crowbar this in that I am <laughs> James Bond? Biden. Hold on. James. Are you guys playing some sort of bingo with me? We should have. That would have been great. Oh, well, I would have thought of that sledgehammer earlier. <laughs> well, monkey tennis. Um, <laughs> it's It's been great. I'm sure we are going to do another one because I don't think one's enough. Um, we should just have it complete freestyle and see, see, see where we end up. <laughs> you look scared then, guys. Or was that excited? No, slightly petrified. Um, slightly petrified about Matt. But anyway, that's oh. And on that bombshell, yeah. Lee, Matt, and Guy from Cactus, thank you very much. This has been brilliant. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. My pleasure. Loved it. Thank you.